All's my life, I has to fight. Uh, all's my life, I. Hard times like y'all. Bad trips like y'all. Nazareth, I'm on one. You on one. God got us. We gon' be all right. Oh. When I wake up, I recognize you looking at me for the paste up. But I'ma stop it looking at you from the face down. Make a leopard even fool with the face down. Scheming, let me tell you about my life. Painkillers only put me in the twilight. But pretty, uh, uh, it's the highlight. I tell my mama I love her, but this what I like. Lord knows. Who need devil in my shepherd? Tell them all to come and get me. Ripping everything I sold. Karma come in heaven. No preliminary here in my record. Tell them I'm a case then silent for the record. Uh, tell the world I think I'm free. Trying to side my face in the dark day. Won't you please believe or not? Won't you please believe or not? Would you know we've been hurt down before? Uh, when the power was low, looking at the world like, where do we go? Uh, and we ain't wanna kill a dead in the street for show. Uh, I'm at the preacher door, knees getting weak, blood might flow. We gon' be all right. Huh, 35 summers in the make it stop faking, you forgot about Dre. Uh, 35 summers in the making, I'm talking in WA. Huh, 35 summers in the making, stop faking, you forget about Dre. Uh, 35 summers in the making, I'm talking in WA. Nowadays, everybody wanna talk like they got something to say, but nothing comes out when they move the lips, just a bunch of different So, huh, yeah, we were watching the halftime show, and I want to uh, make sure that people were actually paying attention to what was going on. See, there's uh, many times that things are set. Jake Tapper's known to, you know, send out coded messages, but I don't think people were paying attention. At the first point, what you saw was encampments and compartments all in white, right? And the dancers all seemed to see the same way. They began with 50 Cent in a red room, and I will urge you to go and see his original video of In the Club so you can understand what it was really about. But then we get to Mary J. Blige. Now, first of all, damn, she's got some thick thighs and those boots made her look good. I think I may have to get some thigh high boots. I'm just saying. Uh, she still look good. And, you know, she's 51 and she looks really good. But aside from that, aside from that, um, what we have to pay attention to is after that introduction, we had clones in a box. And if you notice the floor, it was actually a map and uh, they were calling it Dre day. See, there's something that navigation, people that know navigation understand satellites and Navy equipment. Do you guys know what DRE stands for? It stands for dead reckoning. Now, dead reckoning is when you need to pivot on a map and change your direction. And the minute I saw that is where the real steganography began. It began to say that we need to shift direction. Dre Day is dead reckoning, which is a way of saying that you need to like correct your course because the robot that was using it or whatever, there were some errors and we need to like 
fix things, you know, uh, that they're, we're not sensing it correctly. Uh, you know, we just need to, um, it's like trying to figure out where we're veering to and where we have to veer to, to get to the destination we want to, uh, for whatever reason. That's basically where this comes from. Uh, so when I saw the clones in a box, and calling it Dre Day, and all these people moving in very specific uh, formation, all wearing the same uniform as soldiers, uh, and um, saying correctional errors, that's, you know, navigational errors or recourse, uh, you know, for me, it kind of like was like, whoa. But then the next song really nailed it. It was, uh, you know, Eminem, the kneeling little biatch. Because he was kneeling. Well, he didn't kneel yet at first. But his song was, you have one shot, one opportunity. So this is the regrouping and the directionism. And in that sense, the minute Dr. Dre appeared, he kneeled to him. How sad, how sad, how sad, how sad. And then the closing was with a bunch of people dancing in Chinese prisoner uniforms. That was super weird. Now, I just wanted to point that out to you guys. Maybe you can rewatch it on your own so you can see what you didn't see in the first place. Yes, it's repulsive. But like I said before, you need to watch them so they can tell you what they're doing. Like false flags, anyone? Getting some stuff done, anyone? Oh, Tori, stop. What? Okay. Well, do you remember that guy that kept popping up everywhere, that skinny little boy that was in California during some shooting and then again in Parkland? Remember David Hogg? Well, yeah, he was on TV recently. You need to listen to what that little chick said. Breaking this morning, a dad who lost his son in the Parkland shooting is marking today's anniversary by climbing on top of a crane in Washington, D.C. to send a message to President Biden. We're going to have more on this in a moment. This is a, a video that he has shot there. Just a second. He climbed a crane. No one arrested him. It's totally fine, right? No one arrested him. He gets to climb a crane. No arrests. No, you know, worries that he might be sniping or anything. He was just allowed to do it. Sounds like something organized, first off. Today, of course, is the fourth anniversary of the shooting at Stoneman Douglas High School in Parkland, Florida, where 17 students and teachers were gunned down by a shooter with an AR-15 semi-automatic weapon. And in remembrance of this day, Parkland parents, survivors, and advocates have launched a new gun violence tracker, which keeps track of all gun deaths and injuries since President Biden took office. And they're urging all Americans to join them in sending a powerful message to the White House. Thanks to a lack of action from Congress and a lack of urgency from the White House. This is what it looked like after President Biden's first year. We call it the shock market. And as the father of Joaquin Oliver, who was murdered four years ago in the Portland shooting, President Biden, I call this unacceptable. Joining us now, the founders of Shock Market. We have Patricia Oliver, whose son, Joaquin, was gunned down in the Parkland shooting. David Hogg, who is the co-founder of March for Our Lives. And Igor Volsky, who is the executive director of Guns Down America. Uh, Patricia, first to you. Uh, we were expecting to have your husband this morning. Your husband, we now know, is on top of a crane near the White House. What can you tell us about 
what is going on and presumably he is expecting to be arrested. Well, you know, Manuel, still Joaquin's dad, uh, he's representing Joaquin in a way to be heard. And since we were in the White House in December, expecting uh, being seen by Joe Biden, our president, and he didn't receive us, so we had to find a way to send the message. And today is a special day because sadly it's our fourth year without Joaquin. I know Manny, as you mentioned, was trying to get a meeting with President Biden. He spent 15 days waiting in a way having his own vigil, and it wasn't answered. He's brought a lot of attention, certainly, to the cause. But you really get the sense from him and from others that he doesn't feel like the movement is there that needs to be there to make sure that other children don't have the same fate as your son. Yes. Is that fair? It's not. Is, that a, is it a fair characterization, do you think, of, of how Manny feels? Can you tell me about how he feels and about how you feel on, on this four-year four anniversary? Well, we feel that we are being trying our best to do better, to, to bring this um, issue into action. We've been working very hard, along with these two guys that I have with me. And... Definitely, we trust in the in the new administration um, because we haven't seen any changes. We at least are pretending to see that the administration could say or could open an uh, office just dedicated to gun violence because we've been seeing more than 45,000 people dying since this administration started working. David... Tell me how you're experiencing this anniversary, and also a, a part of it is launching Shock Market, if you right. can tell us about that. So shockmarket.org is a website that helps tally the number of gun deaths and injuries that, is, that have happened in the time since President Biden took office. Um, I think one of the things that I've thought about in this time is one of the first interviews that I had in the wake of the shooting, which was actually, I believe, on this show uh, just about four years ago. And on that, one of the things that I remember most distinctly from that uh, in the time since watching it is when I said... I was asked by the reporter, you know, what do you want to say to politicians? And I said, we're the kids. You're the adults. You need to do something. It's four years later, and I'm 21 years old, and I'm an adult. We need to do something. And frankly, President Biden needs to do something. Because there are certain things that he's leaving on the table that he can do right now, like creating a national office of gun violence prevention and a national director of gun violence prevention and creating a comprehensive plan to dramatically reduce gun deaths before the State of the Union that he can do right now, regardless of the filibuster and regardless of what's going on in the Senate. So, Igor, why isn't that happening, do you think? I don't know. You have to ask the president. You have to ask this administration because, as you know, they ran one of the most comprehensive plans to reduce gun violence. President Biden made personal promises to Patricia, to Manuel, to David, that this would be a top priority for him. And the fact that they haven't done everything and anything in their power is unacceptable, absolutely unacceptable. He did make some big promises on the campaign trail. Let's listen. I made a commitment, and I mean it. I made a commitment that I'm going to do everything in my power, in office or out of office, to get those assault weapons off the street, which I've done once already, and to get those clips that have multiple bullets in them not for sale, not be able to sell. And I promise you, as president, I am going to get these guys. I want to let them know, promise you, 
I'm the only guy that's beaten the gun manufacturer. I'm only the only guy that's beaten the NRA nationally, and I did it twice nationally. And gun manufacturers, I'm coming for you. He hasn't come for them, David. Mm -hmm. What's your reaction? Uh, I'm disappointed. And frankly, if I could say one thing to the president, it's that we need you to go out and act right now before the next Parkland happens because there are things that you can do right now to help prevent it that you have not done. We need to make good on your promises because kids are dying. That promise on gun manufacturers, you know, where are we on that? And what do you say specifically to that one? Well, more specifically, that obviously comes down to more uh, authority that Congress has there. But we've seen from his very own attorney general uh, the continuous defense of PLACA, which is that law that helps protect gun manufacturers from being sued in the first place, protecting them from liabilities. What do you say to what you heard from the president? I heard that from the president. See, the logic there is so dumb. So uh, can people sue McDonald's for getting fat? Can you sue Icy Hot for feeling too cold? Can you sue Columbia that makes, you know, down jackets because you died of hypothermia when they claim that their jackets are sub-zero? Can you, I mean, you're going to sue the gun manufacturer because someone got shot? Get the hell out of here. Like, who even says that out loud and thinks it sounds smart? Person. He said that to us once during campaigning. And what I said to him today is, where are, where are those actions? What's going on that you are not taking anything in practice? We need to see those things besides your words into action. And, you know, the president's got an opportunity on March 1st when he stands before a joint session of Congress to deliver a State of the Union. And it's there that he should lay out a comprehensive plan for reducing gun deaths. Oh, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Ah, ah, stop. So now the suggestion is that we should be able to sue gun manufacturers, but you can't sue someone if your kid gets injured from vaccines, right, at all. You can't sue anyone if you get any side effects from COVID-19 vaccines, like AIDS or whatever, right? But now this guy also tells you March 1st, we're having a state of the union. Are you really? Including the office we've been talking about, including a new nominee to head the ATF so we can really crack down on gun trafficking. He needs a plan. He needs to tell the American people what it is, and then he needs to implement it. And the best way that people can help with that and join us in this fight is we need people to text ACTION to 954-954, and that's ACTION to 954-954, because we need more people with us in this fight to put pressure on the White House like we did in 2018 with Congress and like we did in 2020 to really hold them accountable now that they're in office. David, Patricia, Igor, thank you so much for joining us on on this anniversary. Right? We're celebrating death. This is an anniversary. Jeez. They're telling you what they're going to do, though. We don't want another Parkland, now do we? We can't have that happening, now do we? But here's some more stuff that CNN is telling you that you're not listening to because you don't want to listen to CNN. And that's okay. Because they aggravate you. So I'm here to share it with you. So we can watch it together and get aggravated together. But listen to what they're telling you second if we can all of you bring 
talking about the history, the potential judges is April Rain and Ellie Honig. And of course, Joan Biscuit. I can't think of a better panel of people talk through all of these issues. And of course, you all can obviously always join the discussion. It's what makes Citizen by CNN so impactful and interactive. You can join by submitting your questions as well, live in the box on the right of your screen. So let's just launch in for a second if we can. And all of you bring such phenomenal expertise and this wealth of information will really inform this conversation. And just your first reactions, if we can, to the news, of course, Justice Breyer is retiring, but also the confirmation that Biden has said he intends to nominate a Black woman to the Supreme Court, something that you, April Rain, have been fighting very hard for. You've been talking about in your hashtag, she will rise, this very notion. What would this mean to you? Well, we thank Justice Breyer for his service and contributions to American democracy, but this vacancy creates a historic opportunity for our nation and President Biden's legacy. Not one Black woman has ever even been nominated to serve on the Supreme Court, and this is a consequence of systemic inequality and an erosion of trust, especially felt among Black women who repeatedly turn out in record numbers in our communities. So let's get something straight. So they say that it's because, you know, uh, women are not able to, black women don't get the chance and it's all, you know, racism's fault. Well, there's two things here. Number one, let's pretend that there was racism and that they never had an opportunity. That kind of ceased years ago. It's 2022. Number two, it could be that if they all think like April, why the fuck would you want someone that thinks like April on your SCOTUS bench that will be scathing and demanding reparations from a hundred years ago? Let's think about that carefully. And let's pretend she wasn't black. Let's pretend she was white and she was a redhead and redheads were being scorned and torched because they were witches. And suddenly uh, redheads, a redhead has never made it on SCOTUS. Actually, that's a fact. And we've never had a redheaded Supreme Court justice. So let's pretend a redheaded Supreme Court justice gets on and they're pissed because they were called a ginger and they're upset. Gingers were never here. We're fiery redheads and everyone hated us. So now we're going to get back at you. I'm just saying, pay attention to this. This is the two ways that someone can see it. The other way is this justice being appointed by Biden, right, would always be known as the um, kneel to injustices, <clears throat> you know, where people, um, you know, feel like she just got a free pass. Doesn't mean that she was the best. That's what sucks. Because when you label it like that, you're telling that person that you're nominating, you're not really that good, but I just got to fill a quota with color to make people happy. So let's go. And that's what sucks because there are, first of all, first, 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 Biden is racist. He did not want black people to have rights. Oh, he's changed. No, he hasn't. He still, during his campaign trail, was talking about how black kids are not as smart as other kids. Right? He said it. So this is just simply like if I was whoever he puts up, I would be devastated Could because history would look at me as a loser. 
because I didn't get the job because I was good. I got the job because some racist guy who can't tie a shoe, who stole the elections, decided to play racial politics. I'm sorry. That is exactly, I feel so sorry for whatever judge that has busted her ass or his ass. Well, it's a woman, so it's her ass. So it can't be Michelle. So her ass busted her ass all these years to be an amazing, you know, um, example of judicial pearls of wisdom only to be peed on by a guy like Biden to be like, yeah, yeah, I just got to nominate a black woman. So there we go. Yep. I guess you're up. It would not be nice. I would be really pissed, really pissed if that happened. So why are they making this racial? It sounds disgusting. It sounds terrible. Think of, think about it. What if you were a black woman, a judge, that's incredible. And then you get nominated by this loser because you're black, not because you're incredible. That's what sucks. That's what sucks. It's just terrible. Through our vote. So the Supreme Court would benefit from a black woman justice sharing her point of view in deliberation with colleagues to foster a more complete well, there we go. Sharing her point of view, the we need reparations. I don't care if you weren't alive a hundred years ago. We need reparations. I don't care if racism doesn't exist. We want to be treated like kings and queens because we said so. Wait, wait, stop. We used to hang people in the square and eat popcorn and that was okay. Right. And I don't see you talking about that, any reparations for the people that were hung and, 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 and going after the people that ate pop. Oh, cause they're dead. That's right. Okay. All right. So now you and I, all of us have to hear this torment and subject ourselves to feeling disgusted for whatever color of skin you are. If it's not the one that they like, you have to be the right shade, right? Cause you could be black, but if you're not of the right shade, you're not apparently, and uh, because, you know, even though you weren't alive, we're going to hold you accountable. So we need to share that perspective and bring it into the Supreme Court. Uh, they're just digging a hole by themselves here. Complete awareness of the variety of litigants and communities, future rulings may impact disproportionately. And of course, part of that perspective, and you're so right, as you underscore the historic nature of it, and frankly, the long overdue nature of it. And to that end, I mean, the notion, Joan, you really have written the book, the books, shall we say, on so many instances of the Supreme Court. You actually interviewed Justice Breyer just last year, and he was the one, you know, everyone was wondering the question, are you going to retire? And he seemed quite steadfast about doing it on his own time, as you well know from any justice. What would it mean for the Supreme Court in its current form? to miss Justice Breyer. He's not as well known, say, as the notorious RBG, so to speak, but he has, of course, his own legal prowess. It's so true, Laura. Notorious. Oh my God. With you in April and Ellie and to talk about this, you know, it's been, it's been 12 years since a Democratic president had an opportunity to appoint a justice. So we are at this historic moment with this historic promise of the first African-American woman. But Attributed to issues of race and abortion rights in ways that a lot of people wouldn't suspect. He's a he's very much of a government man. He believes in systems. He believes that Washington works. 
And he's, he, you know, he's been on since 1994 and people still mix him up with other justices, including the retired Justice David Souter. But I, I do want to mention two areas where he's made a difference to a lot of folks in our audience. Uh, he, he has tried to continue the legacy of Brown v. Board of Education in his writing in the uh, 2007 Parents Involved case, uh, believing in the power of uh, desegregation and uh, school integration plans. He's also, strangely, you wouldn't think that he had taken the lead in abortion rights, but because he is, you know, this moderate liberal, he was the one who often wrote abortion rights decisions all the way back to 2000 because he could keep five justices on those opinions. So he's, as I said, he's he's a man of systems and government. Uh, had before he went on the bench uh, first as an appellate judge and then onto the Supreme Court. You know, he worked for Teddy Kennedy uh, in, in on the Senate Judiciary Committee. He had a lot to do with the sentencing guidelines. So uh, has has worked to make the processes of of government uh, operate smoothly, but has really contributed to individual rights also. And the final thing I would say about him is. He's actually really beloved at the Supreme Court. He's someone who uh, in Washington has not become cynical. He's quite optimistic about things. And I think one of the reasons that he didn't step down last year is he thought, well, everything's going to be okay. <laughs> but, you know, fortunately he did in January just because of the very tricky 50-50 math in the Senate. So Democrats are just hanging on to a slim majority. And it was interesting right. that just a few days after he announced he was going to be leaving, that Senate majority seemed even more at risk because of uh, uh, Senator Lujan becoming ill. He's, he's recovering and he'll be back, but it just shows how fragile the Democratic majority is, Laura. And thinking of systems, I mean, Ellie, you you know the systems quite well. You've written about it in your great book as well, talking about the Department of Justice as part of that system and the role that attorney generals can play in these notions in particular. And I wonder from you, when you're talking about and thinking about ahead, I mean, April has spoken about obviously the historic nature and the different perspectives that are brought and really enrich the entire bench by having these different perspectives. For you, you know, you've been a prosecutor at the state and the federal level. And I just wonder in that respect, um, what do you think should come to the bench? The idea of the wealth of knowledge. We have sort of a, a, a template, it seems, which people often criticize about who ought to be a Supreme Court justice. But what wealth of experience do you hope might be represented? Is it the defense side now more? Is it more of a policy position? What is it? Ideally, Laura, I think what we want is as much diversity as possible. And I mean that with respect to race, with respect to gender, with respect to viewpoint and experience. First of all, the question that you started with by asking April, I mean, the, the, the vow by the president to nominate a, the first black woman to the court. Um, I can't, I just can't even believe it's, I guess I can believe it's controversial, but I mean, talk about something that's way overdue and what Welcome took so to 2022. Um, yeah. It's- I know, I know. I guess, I guess that anything will be politicized and seized upon. It doesn't seem to be gaining much traction as far as I can tell though, this critique, uh, you know, that we are hearing from some of, oh, you know, it's, uh, why would he narrow the pool? I mean, I think most people regard, maybe I'm being naive here, but regardless of, uh, of ideology, see that it's long past due. And, and to your point, Laura, the pool of candidates, and I know we'll, we'll get into this, the qualifications are overwhelming on most of these candidates that we've heard the names bandied about. There's no one mathematical formula, in my view. And, and you can't, 
you know, the way they rank college football teams, number one to 25, I don't think you can rank the justices. To me, it's just a question of there is a line and is it, it's just qualified or not qualified. Um, I don't know how you value experience as a public defender versus a prosecutor. In fact, I think we probably have more of an. Uh, let's stop. Prosecutor, public defenders. Now here's where it segues to where we're going to go back to the NFL. You're going to be like, what? I'm going to introduce you to some guy. I don't know. I, I mean, if you guys uh, watch football, you know who he is. And now you're going to understand why Biden said that and what Ellie, Eli, Ellie, sounds like a girl's name, looks like a girl. The guy telling us, well, you know, we have a lot of public defenders and, pub, you know, prosecutors. Wait, wait, wait. Now, I want to introduce you to Stan Kronke. Kronke, Kronke. He's actually Arsenal's um, um, a- actually Arsenal's, uh, just let me, let me, let me introduce you to the guy first and then I'll talk because I want you guys to think for yourself. I don't want to have to tell you what to think. Here we go. Enos Stan Kronke was not born into great wealth. The controlling shareholder of Arsenal FC was raised in a modest middle-class family in the tiny village of Mora, Missouri. His father owned a lumberyard and Kronke would sweep wood chip and help with the books after school before leaving to study business at the University of Missouri in Columbia, 80 miles northeast. He showed a flair for business, paying for college from the proceeds of a clothes shop he started. After graduating, he moved into real estate and developing strip malls. He was already independently wealthy before taking a skiing trip to Aspen that would change his life. There, he met Anne Walton, the niece and heir to the fortune of Stan Walton, the founder of the world's largest retailer, Walmart. They married in 1974. The Waltons are now the richest family in America. The seven heirs, including Anne, are worth $130 billion, but they are also controversial. Walmart's business model means paying bottom basement wages with few benefits for its employees, many of whom have to rely on government assistance like food stamps and subsidized housing to survive. In a 2016 campaign speech, Bernie Sanders attacked Walmart, calling it the major beneficiary of welfare in America. According to the U.S. think tank Demos, Walmart donated $80 million to Republican campaigns between 2000 and 2014 with the aim of preventing policies that would eat into their profits, like raising the minimum wage. I want you guys to be paying attention because even though we go after the Democrats, I want you to be paying attention. Who's Stan Kroenke? In January this year, Kronke donated $1 million to U.S. President Donald Trump's inauguration fund. Kronke sat on Walmart's board for five years and at one point owned 2% of the stock. It was a highly profitable association. He anchored many of his developments with Walmart stores and leveraged huge tax subsidies in the process, something he would later utilize when he moved into sports franchise ownership. 
Stan, $7.5 billion, and Anne, $6 billion, are listed separately on the Forbes Rich List. In 1995, Cronkay, who had always been obsessed with sports, bought a 30% stake in NFL franchise St. Louis Rams. Owner Georgia Frontier had controversially just been given permission by the league to move from Los Angeles to St. Louis. A state-of-the-art stadium had been built for their arrival. Cronkate was hailed for bringing an NFL franchise back to his home state of Missouri. The Rams won Super Bowl 34 and became known as the greatest show on turf. His Cronkate Sports Entertainment Company went on to purchase NBA franchise the Denver Nuggets, Colorado Avalanche in the National Hockey League, MLS franchise the Colorado Rapids, and even a lacrosse team. After picking up a newspaper on a business trip in Hong Kong and seeing... So I just wanted to point out the whole Colorado connection too. I'm just Missouri and Colorado. Nothing but coverage of the English Premier League, Cronkay decided to invest abroad in Arsenal FC, where he has battled for financial control of the club with Alicia Usmanov. Usmanov is one of the world's richest men, a controversial Uzbek oligarch who enjoys a close relationship with the Russian president Vladimir Putin. But Cronkay won and took full effective control of the club in 2011. But it was back in St. Louis where a better assessment of Cronkay's approach to sports franchise ownership could be made. After Georgia Frontier died suddenly in 2008, Cronkay had first option on full ownership of the Rams. He beat Saeed Khan, who would later buy Fulham FC, with a $750 million bid. Under NFL rules, he spun his other US franchise investments to his son. Almost straight away, Cronkay agitated for state subsidies for a brand new stadium to be built, or he would move the franchise to a more amenable city. This is a common move in US sports franchise ownership. Neil DeMoss, author of Field of Schemes, calls this little more than blackmail and estimates that American taxpayers are handing over as much as $2 billion a year to US sports franchise owners in an effort to keep them from moving. Before buying Manchester United in a leveraged buyout, the Glazer family purchased NFL franchise the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and successfully lobbied for a statewide sales tax to pay for the new stadium, effectively transferring money from the poorest in Florida to the richest. Tom Hicks, before his disastrous co-ownership of Liverpool FC, bought the Texas Rangers baseball franchise and again leveraged the team's popularity to push through a sales tax to pay for the new stadium. A new stadium would cost St. Louisian taxpayers hundreds of millions of dollars, but the original contract had a state-of-the-art clause, meaning that if a franchise's stadium was not one of the most developed in the league, Cronkay could break the lease. The threat saw the city do everything they could to keep the Rams in St. Louis, who had now become one of the least successful franchises in history, but they couldn't offer enough. Finally, in January 2016, Cronkay got his wish and the Rams moved back to LA. Once feted, Cronkay was now hated in St. Louis. The mayor, politicians, journalists and football fans all lined up to denounce him. One Rams fan, prominent accident and injury lawyer called Terry Crouppen, even ran an advert during Super Bowl halftime to hashtag slam Stan. I'm Terry Crouppen, you know my hometown, St. Louis. 
We were loyal to our football team. We bought their tickets, wore their jerseys, drank their overpriced beer. We cheered them year after losing year. And in return, they trashed us, then left us. Stan, you're worth $8 billion. That's not enough? Well, here's some free advice. Just because it's legal and you're rich enough to do it, that doesn't make it right. But for Cronkay, in pure financial terms, the move made sense. Forbes estimated that the Rams' value doubled to $2.9 billion overnight. At the first home game as the LA Rams in the autumn of 2016, Stan Kroenke watched as the Red Hot Chili Peppers played a concert on the field before the match, wearing the famous gold and blue uniforms. CeeLo Green sung the national anthem. The Rams had a disastrous season, losing all but one of its last 12 matches, but at least some were enjoying the terrible football. The highest TV viewing figures for the LA Rams were not in Los Angeles. That honour was reserved for the city of St. Louis. Why is this important? Well, obviously the Rams were playing, weren't they? But there's more to that. There's a lot more to that. The more, more, more news, more news. Because remember, we also have bankrolled prosecutors at St. Louis. Only one got caught so far. We've got some public defenders and prosecutors and others that are bankrolled. But anyway, listen to this report. Sam's relocation saga has finally ended with a huge payday for St. Louis. $790 million. Fox News' Andy Banker is live with the winners and losers, Andy. Shirley, an historic win for St. Louis, an historic loss for Rams owner Stan Kroenke and the NFL. The deal was hammered out right across the street in these legal offices in a marathon mediation session. Started in the morning, went all afternoon and into the night last night. Here's former Anheuser-Busch and Schnucks executive Dave Peacock, who led the effort to keep the Rams here. It's a great day for St. Louis. This kind of far exceeds what I expected. We were here when the party started showing up. Just before 9 o'clock yesterday morning, there was lead St. Louis attorney Jim Bennett and former St. Louis judge Jack Garvey, who was appointed mediator and played a key role in brokering the $790 million deal finalized around midnight 15 hours later. We've obtained a copy of the agreement, which says 35% of the money will go to the Army of St. Louis attorneys who have worked more than four years on the case with no payday. The rest, about $516 million, will be split among St. Louis City, County, and the Stadium Authority that operates the Dome at America Center, where the Rams used to play. The St. Louis side accused Kroenke and the NFL of fraud for encouraging St. Louis to spend $18 million on a new billion-dollar riverfront stadium plan while Kroenke and NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell, among others, were plotting to move the Rams back to Los Angeles all along. There have been many cities that have been left by a team. There have been many cities who have the league has turned their back on them across all sports. But this is one case where the city won and won big. That makes it historic. We invested and did everything we were told to do in the process, and we followed the relocation guidelines that the league pointed to multiple times. And the team moved anyway. And I think the facts spoke for themselves. And so while the settlement's earlier than I expected, I think it's a good outcome. The mayor and county executive have issued a joint statement saying this closes a long chapter for the region, securing hundreds of millions of dollars while avoiding the uncertainty of a trial and appeals. An NFL spokesman says this fully resolves the dispute. We appreciate the efforts of all parties and thank Judge Garvey for 
his service as mediator. The NFL will pay within 30 days. It's still unclear how much each owner is going to have to pay, though the heaviest burden will fall on the shoulders of Rams owner Stan Kroc. The mayor and county executive also say it's still being worked out exactly how the money that is in their share will be split and how it will be spent. Live in Clayton, Andy Banker, Fox 2 News. Remember, he's only worth $6 billion, a billion dollars out of his pocket. Really, really hurt. So, you know, he really needed to win that NFL. Pointing some stuff out. Here we go. Or at least part of the anger of St. Louis football fans for Stan Kroenke. The Rams owner was reportedly just, just told to leave the room when fellow owners addressed the legal mess Kroenke left for them in St. Louis. Here's Fox 2's Andy Banker. Well, St. Louis did its part. With plans for a new stadium here on the North Riverfront, the Rams would have started playing here two years ago. That died when the team returned to Los Angeles. Well, now there are reports that Rams owner Stan Kroenke has created such a legal mess for the NFL, the league may offer St. Louis a new team just to get out of it. A new report from ESPN's Seth Wickersham says that when the NFL approved Kroenke's move of the team in 2016, he indemnified his fellow owners against legal costs that might arise, meaning he'd pick up the tab. With legal fees from the St. Louis lawsuit now in the tens of millions of dollars and talk of a potential billion-dollar judgment for St. Louis, Kroenke reportedly told fellow owners at a recent meeting that it wasn't fair anymore for him to cover all of the costs. The owners wanted to talk about it without Kroenke in the room. Here's Wickersham on the Bernie Miklas radio show in St. Louis. Roger Goodell took a very unusual step. He asked Kroenke to leave the room. When do you think the last time Stan Kroenke was sent from a room was? You think it was when he was he wouldn't eat his vegetables when he was six or something like that? Sports radio host Randy Carricker says the Rams Kroenke saga dominates the discussion on his morning show at 101 ESPN. There have also been recent reports that league officials are floating the idea of a new league-funded team and stadium in St. Louis to settle the lawsuit. I am a, uh, I am a passionate football fan. Carricker, who spoke at an NFL hearing for fans in St. Louis before the vote to move the team and has followed the case intensely since, says he doubts this ends with a new team in St. Louis. I've been told consistently that there is no appetite to do business with the NFL on the port part of corporate St. Louis because... They look, Corporate St. Louis looks at the NFL as scoundrels, as liars. He says NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell and league official Eric Grubman pushed St. Louis officials to secure the North Riverfront property and funding for the stadium, knowing Kroenke was already committed to moving. You also have Eric Grubman coming to town and meeting with the St. Louis task force, Dave Peacock and Bob Blitz, and saying, here's what you need to do. You need to spend money on this. You need to develop this. And then once the goal was met, the goalposts were moved. And the the people in St. Louis, the St. Louis interests, just want to show that St. Louis didn't do anything wrong. The NFL did everything wrong. To have the NFL thinking about them and being worried about what might be forthcoming, it's really satisfying. More so perhaps than even a new team. Andy Banker, Fox 2 News. So in other words, they just proved to you that they rig the games. This is the point of it. They rig the games. End of story. They rig the games. And if you can't see it now, you're never going to see it. The games are always a fix. Your team's not going to win unless... 
the powers that be say so. So let's take a quick break to shift gears. Let's look at this nice little uh, telling uh, snippet from South Park. Who's the asshole? Which one of you decided to go and start badmouthing the Chinese government? Uh, who here thought they had permission to say anything critical of Chinese politics? Well, it is true, sir. The Chinese seem to exploit their own people with forced labor. Shut the fuck up, Thor! You're here to flex and not think, you fucking bitch! Please, Mr. Marsh was only standing up for me and Piglet because we were political prisoners. You are a fat, diabetic bear. And if the Chinese don't want you, then I don't either! Now, who the fuck is Mr. Marsh? Oh, uh, that's me, Randy Marsh. Who is this? I don't know you. Are you from Pixar? No, I'm from South Park. What's South Park? Do I own that? No, not yet, sir. You're telling me <laughs> that I'm losing Chinese customers because of some shithead that's not even from my company. Hey, hold. <laughs> right <laughs> so telling down those those guys at south park know what they're talking about so during this intermission please pay attention to the lyrics and um for those of you that are watching this live on video please pay attention to the video too i'll see you in just a bit let's go can't touch this can't touch this can't touch this all right so hopefully you guys enjoyed that musical interlude i had something else set up for her later. But I hope that you guys took away something very important. Perspective allows you to see things that aren't readily transparent and apparent. The judgment came out at the end of November. He's at, he's going to the Super Bowl and he needs to win the Super Bowl. If he doesn't win the Super Bowl, he's got so much pull within the NFL, he could destroy it. He was throwing a hissy fit, and they didn't want to air out the dirty laundry. Therefore, the Bengals. Sorry, guys. Next time. And you're going to see it next time, right? You're going to see it next time. See, that's how that stuff works, right? We pick a team that wouldn't, you know, because if it was the Miami Dolphins or something else, people would have kicked up a bigger fuss. But Cincinnati needs to shut up because Ohio isn't doing so good. And, you know, you guys aren't locking step with this industry. And if Ohio doesn't get their stuff done, they're just going to be losers. So what better way than to get this done like this and right in front of your face, take all the money he needs to pay off Missouri so they could shut up. Oh, guess what? And it was all your money and all the money everybody else made uh, selling wings and drinking Pepsi and getting dominoes. See, that's how rigged it is. Every single year for another reason, this one was clearly apparent. So I had to tell you about it because 
How do you control your slaves? You give them entertainment. You give them gods. You give them some education, not all the education. Or you can give them some education with a lot of education, but they still can't do anything because you're not in the club. So they give you the entertainment. They give you the sports. That's a whole other industry to keep you pacified and busy. So you could be like that dude that was crying on the podium because he's a football fan, you know, and they get you all riled up, you know, so you just feel tribal. You know, I've been to a West Ham game in England. You don't want to go there. I've been to Greek soccer games. Um, I'm a huge Ike fan, love the players, right? But you know what? I had to like wear like seven layers of clothes because a girl in the, you know, the 21 section, which is, you know, it's like, it's like your donut. So, you know, you could get tribal and people are tribal about their teams. They wear their jerseys, pay a hundred dollars to get a jersey to go watch them when it's all rigged and to pacify you. It's all interesting. Now, let me tell you about my day before we get into the news. So it's been a really rough day. Um, I had a lot of appointments and I had a break, a two hour break. <laughs> Look at the way things work. I had a two hour break and um, my doctor has been on me because of some incident that occurred uh, that, you know, I, I should start um, putting in more steps than I do um, to help a specific incident, just a health thing. It's, it's no biggie. I've been through worse anyway. So I was waiting between appointments and I was like, all right, well I could drive home, which will be like 30 minutes going 30 minutes back. That's if I'm not doing the speed limit, but let's just say it would be an hour and a half on the road, an hour and 15 minutes. So why not just hang out here? So there I am walking around this shopping place, right? And I'm just looking at stuff. I'm like, Oh, you know what? I need a hairbrush. I, guys, I keep losing my hairbrushes. Every time I travel, I lose a hairbrush, okay? So I'm like, I need to go find one for detangling, and I walk into an Ulta. Check this out. So I walk in, and I, I'm looking for someone to help me and um, find a brush for me that I need. I've tried the boar's hair, the thick comb things, you know, everything. And so... Because I have wavy hair. I don't have like tight curls or anything, but it's wavy naturally. Um, so I walked to the back and they had like this hair salon. So I just walk up there and I'm like, that's the only person in a desk. And I was like, hey, um, just checking. Um, do you guys have any like appointments? Because I was like, you know what? Maybe I should cut my hair. It hasn't been cut professionally since 2020. I'm surprised I haven't been on one of those Facebook videos. I don't know if you've watched Mondo, some dude that sits there and watches like train wrecks of hair dyes and haircuts. I don't know. I watch him sometime. I indulge. Anyway, I'm surprised I'm not on there. So my hair hadn't been officially cut since then. So I walk up to this desk, this lady, not very happy sitting behind a plexiglass. And I'm like, Hey, do you have a shh? She goes, I was like, um, okay. So, so there I am just looking at the nail polish right uh, behind me and just, and she was like, yes, you said something. What? Yeah. I was just asking if there's like an appointment. She's like next appointment with who? I, I don't know, like someone that cuts hair. And she, she was like, well, the next available appointment is in five minutes or else we're looking at April. And I was like, five minutes, I'm here. Let's go. And she was like, um, do you want to know who the hairstylist is? I was like, do they cut hair? You know, 
your hairstylist is Jamie. So, you know, I usually don't go to this area. It's right by Fast Eddie's in Parma. I've been to Fast Eddie's before for meetups, um, for Ohio meetups. Anyway, so I was like, yeah, let's do it. So I sit in the chair. She's like, what are we doing today? Um, well, I have white hair and, um, I want to get a cut and I'm not very good at styling. I'm usually in a bun and I want something that's easy and hasn't been cut in a while. She's like, all right, how would you like it? And I'm like, I don't know. You're the expert guys. I literally did that. The woman was fantastic. Okay. She was fantastic. Like I was like, how long have you been here? She's like four years. They're really good to me as an employer. I was like, damn fantastic. I actually got my hair cut because I refused to drive all the way home and drive all the way back. It was really hard for me to not be on my phone. Um, <laughs> so I enjoyed my hair being washed and snipped. So it was actually necessary and it was just luck because I have a, a lot of people that I know in Ohio and I'm like, Hey, um, can we like, um, do you have a hairdresser? Yeah. When I call, they're like, yeah, you know, in two months, I'm like, shit, in two months, who's alive and who's dead? Like, come on, are you serious? I'm going to book that far out for my hair. Like I want to get my hair done. So that was pretty good. Cause when I turned back up to the doctor's office, I was at the wrong office, by the way, I had to go to another one. Um, uh, you know, they were like, did you do something to your hair? And I was like, why? They were like, you look really nice. And I was like, so are you trying to say that I look like crap before? And they just all kind of like shut up for a second. I was like, no, nah, it's fine. I did, <laughs> you know? Um, so, um, I'm, I, it was just the hair is amazing. I have not had a cut like that since my hairdresser that I miss so much. That's in New York and London. <sighs> he always flies back and forth. I, seriously. And it was in Ulta. Like who goes to Ulta? You go to a hair salon, right? Ulta amazing. I just wanted to say amazing. The cut was so good. So, um, I just wanted to express that cause that was like the, the nice little thing in the middle of the day that was random, you know, obviously I didn't get my steps in cause I was sitting in a chair except for that time that when she put like the hair dye in literally with the hair cap and the robe thing, right. And the robe thing, shameless and all, I walked out into the parking lot to go get my car and, um, so I can sit and have a cigarette since I had to sit there for 20 minutes and, um, lo and behold, as I was sitting in the car, a parking spot right in front of Ulta popped open. So I just put, put it in. So it was, it was, it was like, uh, it was really, it was like one of those things that you're like, wow, that was nice. That was unexpected and nice. So, um, uh, but the rest of the day was kind of like, whatever. I, I really think, you know, I need to like get fanned and massaged and someone needs to feed me grapes or something. Seriously, I'm so tense. <laughs> I'm so tense. Um, <clears throat> and that's because our Dominion filings are due on Friday. I'm actually quite excited about that. Uh, there's some shenanigans I can't talk about over this channel, but you know what? I can talk about them on another channel. So what I'll do is I'll create a video and then upload it to YouTube. Cause I can do that. Um, Tomorrow, um, tomorrow night I'll, um, be doing my show and then I'm going to be leaving. I'm going to be in Canton, Ohio. Um, 
Uh, it'll be amazing because I'm going to meet with a lot of people from Ohio, but I also get to see a lot of other people and I get really uncomfortable at, um, event things, but I'm going to go, Patrick's going to be there. So I'm going to go see my buddy and, uh, a few other people, you know, I'm actually excited to meet a lady. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of her. Um, Amanda Grace, I don't really follow all her content, but she popped up on my feed one day a couple weeks ago. And I was like, who, what is she about? I really like her, you know, when she popped up and I watched it and then I was like, who is that again? And then, you know, I, I, I pops up again and I'm like, okay, if she pops up, that was meant to be, I should listen to it. So, um, I can't wait to meet her. Um, and obviously the usual people that I'll see down, uh, that are a part of these tours. So I'm excited. If you guys are in Ohio, I know a lot of you are probably going, um, I'll be going to the reawaken, um, tour thing. So, um, I, I'm excited to go meet her out of town. Out of everyone there, I'm excited to go meet her. Um, so everybody else that's there, I pretty much know. Um, so that's what I'll be doing tomorrow. I'll be in Canton meeting with my attorneys too. Um, and, um, and then on Friday, I don't know. Cause the events on Friday, you know, shoot, I'm trying to think, cause I might not be able to do a show on Friday, but y'all might catch me on RSBN. I'm just saying. So, um, so I'll, Either Friday I might do a show. I just wanted to get this out of the way before we get into like the Clinton news stuff. Um, Friday, I'll, I don't know if I can do a show. They say the event is over at five, but it's never over at five. Um, so I um, am kind of excited uh, to see if, if it's over, you know, on time. Uh, I'll pop on and do a show. Even if I'm a little bit late, I'll let you guys know. And um, I'm actually really, really excited, um, to be down there, uh, cause dominions on Friday. And then after that, we've got more coming in and then, uh, with my run, man, you know, I, I'm just going to say this. Sometimes when you do something that's intended for evil, it boomerangs back to you so much, but you know what? Aren't you tired of throwing boomerangs? I'm so freaking tired of, you know, deflecting boomerangs and shooting them back. It's like, you know, I'm just, I'm like exhausted. I am so exhausted doing that. I'm just really exhausted. But anyway, um, so uh, that those those were my news of the day <laughs> for Tory World and um, what's uh, happening tomorrow. I'll do my show and then I'll leave. So Friday, um, I may not have a show. Um, congratulations on the new addition to your family, M. Callie P. Uh, she just had a, a grandbaby, um, and I saw it. I hardly ever see messages fly by. They go so fast. So anyway, that's that. I'm tired of doing boomerangs. I'm just going to leave it up to God. He's, he's going he's gonna to guide it for me. Everything is done for a reason. And um, we have to pray. You know, I, I have to remind myself so many times to do that lately. Lately, I've been kind of down and um, just, it's kind of like, why? It's kind of like, okay, so you want this car to get to the finish line, then why are the wheels falling off? And why is the oil low? 
And, you know, why is my gasket all busted? And the starter's really not going to want to start, keeps choking. You know, I, I'm feeling that uh, this this week. I've been feeling that just physically uh, exhausted. Uh, so, um, and I struggle with that a lot. I really do. Um, a lot. Because some things have happened that... Uh, that shouldn't have and that are just too, they're beyond belief. Like I, I was, I was talking with, with Millie whose little girl's birthday was yesterday and I didn't get to go. Um, and I, and I'm devastated. Like she's so cute. Almost like the cutest everything. And I wanted to see her in the dress that I got for her. I mean that, that, girl is just amazing. She's three, but she is like 30 when it comes to responses. And, um, she, um, she and I were just talking and I was just expressing to her just how, um, you can't even say things out loud because you're saying it and you're like, is this real? Like, you know, I'm, I'm sitting there in the lobby Right when I finally get to the to the right doctor's office because I was in the wrong building because um, the toxicology units they have here are different. Um, I go to the right one this time and I'm sitting there and I'm pulling out my phone and I see an article right that totally flabbergasted me. I'm like, are you kidding? Like the stuff we see these days, uh, life beyond. NSA warns aliens could contact humans through high-frequency signals, as experts warn we're not alone in the universe. Like, come on! So, aside from the stuff that is going on in my, you know, so blatant and bullshit, it's like, come on, man, you're not even trying to hide it anymore. Like, people aren't even trying to hide the fraud. People aren't even trying to hide their... uh, Guys, okay, you know, I really actually do have to do a video because then you guys will understand the frustration that I've been having these past couple of days. And I can't do it on Twitch because it's monetized and therefore um, that can, you know, ping back on me because <laughs> if they did this, we ain't doing you here. And they're capable of doing everything. So, um, <laughs> so I just... Things are just so wild that that I see, even though, you know, now you're like, oh, see, we were right. No Russia hoax. You're kind of all like, meh, right? It doesn't feel like you're winning. So what? That bitch wasn't in charge of that. Meh, right? Everyone feels it. Meh. So, yeah, okay. So Spygate makes Watergate look like a, you know, a puddle fight, right? Like a toy car. It means nothing. And and you don't feel it. I see it. I see everyone. You know, you see the, 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 the red string gangs trying to beef up themselves again and come back out. Whoa, come back. Look, we were right. And it's like, stop. No one's excited about this. This was long overdue. We're tired. Right. This is exactly why it happened so slowly, but also because there's other things to mitigate. So I feel you on that. I mean, uh, for all of us, it's been, uh, you know, justice, uh, 
that should have happened. But the problem is the reason everybody feels so meh, so what? She gets arrested. Yeah, lock her up. That's okay, right? You know, you don't feel the the excitement anymore because they had you excited over fucking nothing for four years. For four years, they had you going and going. And you know what? I was trying to tell you, no, no, no. Stuff is getting done. Durham's in Ukraine in 2018. This is happening. This And nobody was, no, that's not tangible. I want to see people locked up, look, in jail. And it's like, wait, you can't just do it like that. You can't just lock them up. Yes, you can. No, you can't. The swamp is so deep that in order to fix it, they got to rip you out too. I don't think you want to be ripped out. The whole fabric of society has ripped and you need to take it down. It's a train. You know what it is? It's a hot mess of people in a train that's in a dumpster fire, right? With no wheels (laughs) and you got to switch command. And the floor of the train without letting people fall through the emptiness. It's so hard to maneuver. And what the past four years were, like the psyop they used against the people to get them all riled up for the wrong things was devastating. Because they had you on a high so high, you just don't want to go there anymore. You're just like, yeah, I'm not high anymore. You had me on Twitter and, you know, I had like so many tens of thousands of followers and I was on Trump trains and everyone was going to get it. Hammer's going to drop and Q was dropping and this was happening and no, no, no. And then suddenly it went done. Suddenly you have no followers. No one gives a shit what you say. You know, uh, you know, nobody, the dewdrop stopped. Everything's dead done. The people with the red digital string just make us look crazier, even though some of the stuff they're saying is not all false. Okay. Right. And then it's like, it's like a firework that you set, that you put fire on, like you lit it and you watched it and you're just like, all right, it's going to explode right now. Oh, the fireworks are coming right now. Yeah, they're coming right now. And you're like, wait, do I go close to it and touch it or will it explode my face? Let me just wait. Let me just wait. And then you wait so long that you're just like, fuck it, just leave the firework there. I just don't even want to know. And that is how everybody feels. And, and you know, the, everybody is the people that didn't see the bigger picture, that none of this that is happening is in anyone's control but God's. None of it. And the only thing that you can do is amplify it. That's the only thing you can do to be the 1%. You have to think like the 1%. And unfortunately, everyone was thinking the pedestrian way. Now people are starting to understand that the changes that have been, you know, all the changes, and I can't stand it when people don't give you guys credit. The changes you have seen the movements you have seen, the pushes you have seen, the lawsuits that have been filed, the pushback that's going. I mean, it's kind of fizzled out. Do you know why? What have you done lately? Absolutely nothing. What have we done collectively lately? Not much. The last thing we did was, you know, a couple lawsuits here and there. We need something new. Because if you haven't realized it yet, the 1% is you. 
and everyone is going off of your momentum, your momentum to take your country back. Think about it. Yeah, New York, not yet. So for my New Yorkers, not yet, not yet. We have to hold that line for a second. Um, I thought I texted it. You know, I did switch devices. Um, I think I need to get another phone because that phone's just not working for me um, for Telegram. But New York, we have to hold the line just two more weeks. <sighs> two more weeks. That's all. Now, again, if you haven't noticed everything you have done from your core warrantos to the bond things, everyone's recycling your shit because there's nothing there. The GAO, the filings, right? Everything. The courts, the, the Supreme Courts, the writs of mandamus, the whole nine yards. You've done this. That was the momentum. So now what you did was you need to pull back, right? And you let them sink a little bit. You let them try to figure out what to do. And the minute you give that hiatus, you start to see just how important you, the people are. This is where you're starting to see it. The Canadians have stepped up, but so have other nations too, right? But the fix is already in for most of the nations. The fix is really in. But for now, with what you've done for the first push, the second one that we're going to do is intentional to take out the rhinos. See, a lot of people keep talking that we have a lot of resignations, which is true. But what have I told you about that? Well, people say that's an opportunity to get Republicans in. Let's be honest. What is the real thing that they're putting in there? It's more rhinos. They know that they can't get Democrats in because the Democrats are so tired of them. This is the ploy. Pay attention. This is the ploy. They've resigned. Tons of them have resigned. Tons, tons and tons of open seats. And so they know that the Democrats will not win. Therefore, their new target is the Republican Party. The Republican Party will be filled with rhinos. The test run was last in, in 2020 when all the rhinos that got in were the ones that impeached the president, that caused you problems, that pushed back that put down the mandates that fucked you. So I want you to be understanding that when you see all of them resigning and all these rhinos coming out, they're going, they're coming hard. They're coming hard and you're not even going to see them. They're going to tell you all the beautiful things you want. And the GOP is going to be like, we're endorsing this. And it's like, they're doing that shit behind closed doors. Do you know that the Ohio GOP is actually selecting their nominations behind closed doors. Yes, they are. They're doing it behind closed doors because they believe that they have that much pull. And see, this is happening across the nation. It's not just in Ohio. It's happening everywhere. And you can't see it coming. A lot of people still think that you need the guy with the, you know, big family and the pearly whites that's a businessman and he's real smart and stuff. He was a state senator for 10 years. What the hell did he do in the 10 years? Hmm? What was, how did he vote? Right? Does he tell you all the nice things you want to hear? Because that's what the devil does. Does he say things that you agree with, but say things that rubs you the wrong way? Well, maybe that's your candidate. Not the wrong way and whatever, but you know, that you don't agree with. They might be like, well, I'm pro-abortion. I'm just saying, just, just out of, you know, 
Citizens are the ones that have to run. And we've been saying that for how long? Hmm. I think it was since November 5th, 2020, where the citizens need to be running. We have people running in Texas like Jake Armstrong. We have uh, more. There's a lot of people running in Texas. There's another woman. Hold on. Let me get her details because I need to get my Texas people. Bianca for Texas, right? So she is um, uh, running. So it's Bianca for Texas.com. She's fantastic. Uh, let me share her link. Um, see, these are key positions that need to be won. And these are council. These are uh, secretary of states. These are state legislators, Senate, Congress, you name it. You know, it sucked. You remember when we watched Lincoln Log? Uh, what's his face? Think I sat across from him at dinner too. Um, and I'm not really doing too well today. So my memory um, retrieval mechanisms are kind of slow. Sean Spicer, how he brought all those Senate runs, but he didn't bring Mark Paquita, who's just a dude running. See, that's how you know um, that the fix is in. While the red String gang will tell you, oh my God, look at all the Democrats, they resigned, we're going to get Republicans in. And it's like, no, you mean you're getting rhinos in, right? Rhinos in. We'll do more on that. Probably talk about it. Um, when I tell you what's, nah. now let's go to Chuck Grassley and a quorum call that was held. I want you guys, I don't know if you guys saw this quorum call, but it's important to um, to see it so you can see that this is Chuck is talking about it in the halls of Congress here. Without objection. I come to the floor to give you an example of some of the hip hypocrisy that goes on in this town. On February the 11th last week, Special Counsel Durham made another filing with respect to the case against Clinton campaign lawyer Michael Sussman. I've spoken to my colleagues before to discuss Special Counsel Durham's findings in this matter. Today, I want to highlight new evidence that has come with this filing. Special Counsel Durham's filing said that at trial, his team will establish that a firm tied to the Clinton campaign misused internet traffic pertaining to four entities, a healthcare provider, Trump Tower, a Donald Trump apartment building in New York, and the executive office of the President of the United States. The Clinton campaign essentially spied on the Trump, and Trump campaign. After Trump was elected, the Clinton campaign's work continued. Now, how did they do it? According to Special Counsel Durham, the Clinton campaign worked with cyber researchers to infiltrate private 
and government servers connected to Donald Trump. Their main conduit was Tech Executive One. In July 2016, according to... Okay, let's just explain this. Tech Executive One is Manos. Okay, next. ...to Special Consul Durham. I quote, Tech Executive One also enlisted the assistance of researchers at a U.S.-based university who were receiving and analyzing large amounts of Internet data in connection with a pending federal government cybersecurity research contract, end of quote. And that cybersecurity research contract was awarded by the DOD that was overseed, was oversaw, was overseen, God, used all the tenses there, overseen by a guy named Angelo, another Greek dude, right, who now has a company called Voreus. In addition, Tech Executive One had access to dedicated servers for the executive office of the president as part of a, quote, sensitive arrangement, end quote. And remember, Joffe, right, He's he's got a lot of tech companies. So he was just the middle guy. And obviously, if you're going to do something so huge, you've got to put someone huge in the middle. All he did was task Georgia Tech Manos to get the work done. Manos got with Angelo because they're Greek and it's tribal and at the DOD, got him to award him the contract so that way he can ask access to the servers. And then he was allowed unfettered access to certain IP addresses. We'll talk about IP addresses. Manana. This individual, quote, exploited this arrangement for the purpose of gathering derogatory information about Donald Trump, end quote. According to Special Consul Durham, the Clinton campaign through Tech Executive One abused, quote, non-public or proprietary internet data end of quote. One question that needs to be answered is whether any of this exploited information and data included classified information. The available facts show that the Clinton campaign abused federal government contracts to exploit government information to use against Trump. If the Republicans did the same thing, we all know. See, the Republicans did do the same thing. They exploited government information. You mean the IRS agent they caught that released Trump's tax returns when that was illegal? Is that what he's talking about? See, we're regurgitating the same things and I know he has to keep some kind of stature and say shit, but let's be frank, okay? John Faye had this company, one of many, That company was the one uh, that they claim was the company that housed the task to Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech then applied for the government contract, you know, degrees of separation, of course, to his friend, Angelo. (laughs) And they also had this guy named Stelios who was helping them from MIT who, you know, uh, was working with them. 
right? So it's, it's it, you know, it, it, what people don't seem to understand is that this has been an ongoing investigation from day one. Because, you know, Epstein shined a huge ass light on MIT. Uh, a lot was released from there, one level up, one level up, and with a few good tips received from nice people that tip, right? Uh, suddenly, uh, that was a thread that you pulled and it's like, damn, damn, ding, ding. It's like that meme, you know, <laughs> with all the people going, dang, right? So this is what happened. Tech executive one, Joffe, then and, and Manos. I would say Manos. Joffe was just the middle guy. He was the guy that was tasked to do it. He was a high-level dude. Manos at Georgia Tech ran the whole thing, had everyone running the data, okay? The DOD was in on it. DOD was in on it. DOD under President Trump was in on it. You should also see my article about this one guy from the DOD that left and then got a $7 million contract to shut the fuck up, you know, and that was the deal. So he doesn't say anything. You know, they should be asking him some questions. You know, I've written an article about that guy too. But anyway, going on, this is just how intricate it was. You had government agencies, people that are there to create products or compute data or, or, or to support our nation were actually using those weapons and those resources that they were paid with your federal tax dollars to take down a sitting president. Well, you know, treason is light. We want our money back. Like, we want our money back. Like, that's what's up. IRS can come and take money. We want our money back. Okay? We do. Oh, you wouldn't hear the end of it. The Democrats and media would want another impeachment of Trump. All of these outrageous acts were done to create fake connections between Trump and Russia. That included the fake Alpha Bank narrative. That narrative centered on allegations that Trump had secret communications channels. And I just want to say something, just so you guys know, Alpha Bank was actually originally Greek, right? It actually merged. I'm just pointing out facts, how they're just like trying to throw it into Russia. Look it up. Alpha Bank, Greek. There's Alpha Bank, Greek. It's all a, a, a thing like Marfin Bank. They'll tell you it's Greek, but it's actually Saudi. You know, that you have to look to the back underlying thing of everything they tell you because it's masked and it's a lie. It is a freaking lie. Alpha Bank in London is just a front. Okay. And that's what sucks, but it had a good front because it did a lot of stuff with the um, Russian shippers and stuff. How do you know? Well, I have cousins that work there. So, well, did work there. He left because he wanted to be a musician. With the Russian bank. It was all fabricated by the Clinton campaign. There was nothing to it. And let's not forget that Jake Sullivan spread the fake Alpha Bank narrative, and he spread it far and wide. Sullivan is now President Biden's national security advisor. Of course he is. He helped Hunter Biden close those deals. Like, no duh. Of course he is President Biden's sidekick, right? 
He was the one that closed all the deals. Let's not forget the deals in Chad. Hmm? The money. Iran. Hmm? He needs to answer for his role in this entire fiasco. Even the Obama administration servers communicated with the same Russian servers that were apparently the basis of the false Russia connection. You mean Obama was at the center of it. Thank you. Now you're speaking the right way. Now just think how ridiculously this rollout was with this so-called evidence against Trump in hand. On February the 9th, 2017, Sussman provided updated allegations to an unnamed U.S. government agency. Of course, he left out Southern District of New York, the Obama administration's connections. Some of those connections included that Trump and his associates use rare Russia made wireless phones near the White House. You mean silent circle phones? You know, too bad Twitter took it down. I had put out that picture. That's the type of phones Obama used. Silent circle. Durham said that there was no evidence of that. But so See, they, he was reporting the stuff they were doing. Like I posted that picture. I posted the silent circle picture. Black phones, silent circle. Some evidence is very, very clear. During the election, the Clinton campaign spied on the Trump campaign. After Clinton lost, the Clinton campaign spied on the Trump administration. And they did it by abusing federal government contracts. No, the Obama administration. And they did it the Obama by administration their access spying. to government information. It wasn't Hillary. Trump has reportedly said that the Clinton campaign spied on his campaign. The mainstream media either ignored him or called him a liar. Based upon special counsel Durham's filings, Trump, it turns out, was right. The Clinton campaign, mainstream media, and Democratic Party did what they could do to destroy Trump, no matter the cost to the truth or the cost to the country. Well, actually, it was the DCC. House D Triple C. Look at Tori says. Of corporate media. Look at Tori says.com. Look up DCCC and you'll see who they are. Set up the January 6th commission to investigate what they termed the big lie. Where are those on the January 6th commission when it comes to investigating the big lie where the Clinton campaign worked with the sitting Obama administration and taxpayers' money in trying to destroy their political appoint opponent? That's just as dangerous as our democracy. As I conclude my remarks, let me come to grips with this absolute fact. The Clinton campaign's conspiracy of dirty tricks set in motion a chain of events that have ripped this country apart for years. So much.
for peaceful transition to power. Now, what's disturbing to me about the hypocrisy in this town is that we have the First Amendment, freedom of press, where I see journalists as keeping government honest. And I don't see the people that knew that they were wrong about this issue for four or five years are willing to admit that now they haven't done their job properly. And a lot of things that make made government dishonest, and I just told you how this was done, don't seem to be worried about policing the political system the way they should. I haven't seen anybody apologize. I did see a rerun of something that happened October 20th, within the last couple days. An interview between one of these journalists and President Trump, where President Trump was trying to tell people that this stuff was going on, and they said, no, there's no proof of it. There's no proof of it. Are they saying today there's no truth to that? I think we all know that Trump wasn't in government, maybe even lacked some understanding of how the political system works, but he came to town to challenge the elite that are inside the beltway and change things. And somebody knew that he was up to that. And they wanted to stop him from doing it. So they spied on the campaign so he wouldn't be elected. And once he was elected, he spied on the, on the executive office to see what they could do. I remember a story that a friend of mine told me about talking to some Democrat senator in February of 2017, who told that friend of mine that Trump would not be president by the end of that year of 2017. Now, whether that senator knew what he was talking about, I don't know, but I reflect back on that conversation I had with that friend and I wondered if they really thought that by doing what we know now they were doing, that they were going to be able to get him out of office before the end of 2017. So I give you a little example of what I call hypocrisy in this city. I yield the floor. He's right, though. The hypocrisy is real. And, you know, they really don't care that you know. They really don't care that you know. They don't. And it's all out in the open. And guess what? They're not going to report it because nobody cares. Why? We don't care. We're winning. We have the megaphone. What are you going to do about it? And then we have YouTube saying we need to police the internet more. We need to shut people up more, you know, ministry of truth type shit. And the more and more we give, the more and more they grow. Hamster wheel you can't get off of. The only way to stop it is by getting people that are not politicians, just like Chuck Grassley said, that are there to challenge the status quo and the elite. And you should be backing every single one of those people that nobody wants to talk about.
Those people that are willing to put their lives at risk to represent the people. Those people that are willing to get themselves out there to represent the people. Don't allow the GOP and the DNC and the media to devour them. It is your obligation, if you want to be free, to support them. And it's happening nationwide, nationwide. That word we heard from the president a few weeks ago, maybe that's what happened. So we'll stay on top of that. And we have more guests coming up to talk about it. Meantime, House GOP leader Kevin McCarthy is vowing to launch a congressional investigation into the Durham report findings if Republicans win a majority in November. A Friday's court filing alleges that a tech executive tied to Hillary Clinton's campaign uh, mined sensitive data to dig up dirt on the former president. Now, for the latest, let's check in with congressional correspondent Kilmeny Dukart live on Capitol Hill. Kilmeny, what's the latest? Bob and Heather, good to be with you. House Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy and other Republicans have been very vocal on their outrage over these findings, their frustration that this is largely being ignored by the mainstream media, and they're also demanding accountability. Kevin McCarthy, in a statement to the New York Post, saying Democrats and legacy media may want to sweep this alarming report under the rug, but if House Republicans earn the majority, we will use oversight tools to determine whether federal funds were used, whether federal office holders abused their power and investigate other dis- Whether we already have the proof and it's not a fucking report, it's an indictment. Why does he call it a report? Disturbing elements of this spying scheme to ensure nothing like it ever happens again. And these were sentiments that were also echoed by Republican Senator Rick Scott. We need accountability. We need accountability for the Clinton, man- Clinton campaign. We need accountability for Adam Schiff and Jerry Nadler because they were complicit in this. So the media needs to start doing their job, talk about exactly what's going coming out and hold these people accountable. Republicans are also zeroing in on National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan, who at times worked for the Clinton campaign and released a statement reacting in 2016 to the supposed link between Trump and a Russian bank. Uh, some of the GOP are calling on Sullivan to step down, saying that this is a conflict of interest, particularly at a time where he's supposed to be managing an escalating Russian crisis with Ukraine. All right. Kilmeny, thank you very much. Uh, right now, we want to bring in uh, uh, Congressman Ralph Norman, uh, who has been following what's going on uh, with the Durham report, of course. Uh, it, he joins us right now. Uh, Congressman, I wanted to get your take on this report. Now, I, we, we've heard the term spying. Uh, we, we've heard um, uh, wiretapping. I don't know that that's accurate, but I wanted to get your impression of what actually is done and, and, and why there should be a response to this somehow. Sure, uh, Bob, Heather, you know, the more we get into this, the more we hear about it, uh, you know, this makes Watergate look like child's play. Uh, for the Clinton campaign to have officials, namely Michael Sossaman, go in and pay a tech guy to transmit information from the Oval Office to, and prior to Trump going into the Oval Office, to his apartment, and to Trump Towers, uh, to them, is and then deny it, uh, is outrageous. 
And the fact that the press isn't covering this, uh, Jerry Nadler uh, is not covering this. There's no Democrat that he, that has expressed outrage. And the thing about it, Bob, he's uh, you know uh, they've got phone records uh, and they've got billing records that indict these individuals. Uh, and it goes back to the you know the dossier that was fake. They were trying to just create a narrative that would implicate Donald Trump starting back in 2014, but mainly in 2016 when he took office. And uh, it's illegal. Somebody should do jail time, which I think they will. And uh, the, the reputation that John Durham has is he's a bulldog. He is above the political politics of letting that interfere with him. And it's outrageous when you when you think about it. Um, and I think there's more indictments to come. As a, you know, a member of the Homeland Security Subcommittee on Cybersecurity, um, talk to us about any concerns that you have when it comes to this being done in the Oval Office, in the White House, the president of the United States. I think that alone should make this headline news all across this country, Specific specifically when you take a look at this portion of the Durham filing where it states that the tech executive one tasked these researchers from Georgia Tech to mine internet data to establish an inference and narrative tying then-candidate Trump, this is actually before, uh, to Russia. In doing so, Tech Executive One indicated that he was seeking to please certain VIPs, referring to individuals at law firm One and the Clinton campaign. But as I said, this continued once he got to the White House. And the thing is, even if this firm, this tech firm, and tell me if I'm wrong, had been hired to do this in some way, they were using the information they were getting in an inform in a way that they were not tasked to do so with. And the FBI exactly. at some point was made aware of that. Yeah, I mean, Michael Sussman denied this back uh, when he testified uh, in 2016 to the FBI. And again, Derma has got this of record. And Heather, the thing about the cybersecurity and the fact that they were able to do this on the president of the United States Look at what they can do to just the average citizen. But they were transporting information. And, and by the way, if you look at the math on it, from 2014 to 2017, there were 3 million uh, information requests of the Russian things that went to Russia. And of the 3 million for those three years, only a million were remotely related to Donald Trump. And so that's a fraction of a percent. So they were doing this intentionally. And if they, can, if they can do it to the president of the United States, who else have they done it to? And uh, Kevin McCarthy's right. When we get back power, uh, we're, going to, we're going to make sure this doesn't happen to other Americans. And we got to hold them accountable. If they get by with this, uh, the American public will lose complete faith in the political system and in the security what do you expect from Mr. Durham? Because even the scenario you're laying out for Republicans investigating, that's almost a year away. Uh, what do you expect from Mr. Durham between now and then? It's just like what John Ratliff uh, said, who was the national intelligence uh, uh, work for Donald Trump. He said there are going to be more indictments. He was saying this before the Durham report came out. Uh, so I think what uh, Mr. Durham has indicated he will do is provide more names. He'll provide more information. And it's going to be hard for the, for the Clintons and those who took part in this to get out of this. Because, again, uh, Durham is, is thorough. He's got records. He's got billing information. Mark Elias is complicit in this. The Perkins Coey Law Firm, who 
uh, Hillary Clinton employed is is their names all over this. So yeah. I, I think more more things will come out. Yeah, you even have uh, one of those Georgia Tech researchers quoted as saying, the only thing that drives us at this point is that we just do not like Trump. This will not fly in the eyes of public scrutiny. Folks, I'm afraid we have tunnel vision. But yet they continued. Uh, Congressman Ralph Norman, thank you very much for joining us. My pleasure. So the resistance to actually call it a wiretap is a big deal. But, you know, before we end today, we should just hear Devin Nunes, and then I'm going to give you a little bit of a, of insight. There are certain things that I always say, and this is where you're going to understand it after this. When are you going to comment on the spying allegations, Hillary? Did you pay for the having spied on Hillary Clinton basically remaining silent about a bombshell court filing from special counsel John Durham. It alleges the Clinton campaign paid a tech company to infiltrate computer servers at Trump Tower and even later when President Trump was actually in the White House. Joining us now is former House Intelligence Committee Chairman Devin Nunes. It's the White House piece that really surprised me. Yeah, you know, uh, Bill and Dana, thanks for having me on this morning. Uh, This is not the first spying. Right. So everybody's now paying attention to this, except for the fake news media, which are actually quieter than crickets. So the people who actually promoted this for the last five years. Now, when this bombshell comes out that the White House was actually spied on directly, the president of the United States, while he was president, compromised some of the supposedly some of the most secure communications architecture in the world. They're they're quieter than crickets now. But let's not forget I mean, this is, you know, through our our investigation, what did we find? We found that they were using intelligence apparatus to unmask, basically reverse target uh, people uh, in the Trump transition and probably after that. They also ran so-called CHSs, confidential human sources. So these are people that were paid for with taxpayer dollars to infiltrate the campaign. And then let's not forget that they went and got a FISA on a Trump campaign member that likely we never got to the bottom of this, likely could have been used to go and grab specific communications from numerous people within the then presidential candidate Trump's campaign in 2016. So uh, look, I think the only thing that's interesting here is, is that the Russia hoaxers in the media, you can't find. Mm -hmm. Mm. Sir, when we look back at the Mueller probe, and a lot of people even on the right said, isn't there more to it there? You know, why, why aren't people going to jail? And, and a lot of people got in trouble with the law for lying. And right now you got a case of that, you know, with Durham working through this. Andy McCarthy's headline says this National Review. He says that old Mueller feeling is the Durham probe going to produce all smoke and no fire. And if you if you look at his argument, yeah. do you think that's the same position we are in now as we were for well, three years with Mueller? Uh, totally different. Um so, so Mueller, that was an issue because President Trump was framed by his own government, okay? So the whole Mueller thing, I'm not sure Mueller even knew what the hell was going on. You may remember, you can probably bring up the clips, but when I asked Mueller directly when he was presenting to the United States Congress what he knew about Christopher Steele and the dossier, he didn't remember. So look, I don't know if he had cognitive issues at that time, but the whole Mueller investigation should be investigated. And I hope that Durham is looking at that because... You had all kinds of Clinton campaign operatives and dirty cops who were in that Mueller probe. So totally different. What you have with Durham, oh, and and by the way, you went every single day with a leak. Let's not forget that. Leak to the fake news who were promoting this hoax. 
The Durham probe has been the opposite of that. With Durham, he's doing it by the book. There's been zero leaks. So I think Durham has a lot of credibility moving forward here. The issue will be is that some of the laws that were broken weren't crimes. And that's really the problem. Like, like it should be if a, if a FBI lawyer lies to a FISA court, you know, nobody ever thought that was, there's not really a, a law in the book for, for books for that. Mm. That should be like 20 years minimum sentence because we can't have dirty cops, people within these intelligence agencies playing politics and lying to a court. But however, you know, they got a slap on the wrist. So I think Durham's building a larger conspiracy case here and, and hopefully he's going to be able to get build enough evidence to bring all of these people to justice. Devin, I'd love your uh, thoughts on this uh, as a former intelligence chair. President Trump said this to Fox News, that they have the declassification order and they should declassify absolutely, especially in light of what has just happened and what has just been revealed. Do you think declassification of all these materials is warranted? Would you, would you want that to happen? Yeah, I mean, look, we've pushed for this. President Trump ordered it, I think, about three or four times, as I, as I remember, because we ran the investigation, uh, you know, into the into the Russia hoax in, in Congress. I think it would have been important when John Ratcliffe finally got to the Director of National Intelligence. He was able to; he couldn't even declassify it. He pushed it into the Durham investigation. You know, we're Congress; we have the highest level security clearance on the Intelligence Committee that, of, of anyone in in the in the country, I think we should have known that there were contracts going out and people that would have had access to White House comms that were breached. Probably would have been something for Congress to actually know about. And I think Congress is going to have to spend a lot of time trying to fix this uh, you know, after Durham brings these indictments and people are prosecuted. There's going to be a lot of work to do, a lot of cleanup work that's going to have to be done. We have a lot more questions. You know what's so stupid? Let me just point something stupid out. Okay. I'm going to leave that there. I'm going to point something stupid out, something very stupid. Do you guys remember when Brennan was in front of uh, the Senate Intel Committee and the House Intel Committee? Why was he standing there? What was their main problem? Oh, that's right. That the CIA put the servers in, therefore they're not really spying because it's theirs. Now, do you know where else he put servers in during the Obama era? Ask and you shall receive. Remember, he was on, he was, he was in the hot seat. And they were like, you were spying on Congress. You were spying on the Senate. And what did he say? Uh, we weren't spying anything. Besides, the agency was the one that created your networks. So, so technically, it's the agency's network. Now, here's where you get a little bit of tea time, right? I've always said that it was quite curious, this whole uh, Doug Jones shit out of Alabama with this whole Forge thing and he's a pedo and all that stuff, right? And I also said, it's quite interesting how Jeff Sessions knew that if he was going to be confirmed, he would have had to recuse himself because in October of 2016, he was interviewing Vetlin Naskaya. I actually wrote an article of Big League Politics during that time to point it out that he knew he was going to get recused. He's a smart man. He knows better. Then why did it happen? These were questions that I posed. 
Now, let me take you to today. As you heard from CNN, Biden said that he's definitely nominating a black woman, regardless of her, if she's good enough or if there's someone better that could be maybe, I don't know, a redhead, right? But you know who's helping him fill that vacancy on the Supreme Court? Senator Doug Jones of Alabama. You remember that race, right? And that case now is in the court, right? Where Roy Moore, right, is in court suing for defamation, right? For all of these, uh, you know, for the defamation, um, for saying that this was happening and said that Corfman was lying. So what Corfman did is she filed the lawsuit saying he was lying. So now all of those were being put on the side and the judge said they're all going to be tried together because Corfman said that he molested her and he says she's lying and you know, all that crap happened, you know, uh, you know, slipped in. And Luther Strange was appointed um, to succeed Jeff Sessions in the Senate, right, as you know. And um, Jeff Sessions has been quite busy, quite a busy man. He was actually in Illinois a couple weeks ago. I don't know what he was doing in Illinois, but uh, like for the whole week. But for one of the days, he was actually in at the University of Illinois uh, addressing uh, the Rep- Illinois Republicans and the youth at the university. And they contested him going there and all that stuff. So I want you to think of it this way. If we already knew that the servers, by some way, in 2016, after the elections, President Trump already knew that the White House was wiretapped by the agency. And Jeff Sessions already knew that he would have to recuse himself. And now all of this is coming out with the wiretap slowly, slowly, slowly. You'd have to say slowly is upsetting, but it's more so to tell them we're coming. And the fact that they keep calling it a Durham report when it's an indictment, it's pretty interesting. So another interesting fact is I have a friend in Guantanamo Bay who advised me that um, for some reason Jeff Session went to see what's going on, which is also quite curious because at Guantanamo Bay we were supposed to have Already in 2021, the jury picked for the 9-11 trials, and we haven't heard diddly squat on that end after the report of March 2020 that already deemed fact that Building 7 was a demolition. So with those little tidbits, I just wanted you to kind of think I always say Sessions is busy, busy, busy. No one knows what he's doing. He got fired and then Trump was like, no, I'm not nominating. And it's like, friends sometimes fight in public to create the separation needed, right? For certain reasons. I mean, they're all on a script. We can improvise as well. The only thing you have to do is have faith that things are trying to be done. But the, just like you're seeing now. This indictment has dropped. This information is out there. No one's talking about it. How are you going to get people to talk about it? People are going to be like, stop. CNN would have said it. Fox would have said it. Newsmax would have said it. They're like, well, they're saying, alleged, I don't know about the wiretapping. And it's like, bitches, stop. See, the only way you fix it is by taking over. And the only way you take control 
of the hamster wheel is by removing the people that are spinning it. That's the way it is. If you don't remove them, you're going to still spin on that wheel and you're going to sit there bitching like, no one's doing anything. And it's like, well, then do something. If you can't run because you're not capable, uh, you don't feel comfortable, uh, you're hurting, you're too old, you're too young, find someone that you can and run the shit out of them as if you were a jockey. Run the shit out of them and make sure they get into a position where they can fuck shit up because that's the only way we fix it. We need people to get in there and tear it all up and say, all right, we're here and you're gone because we said so. We, the people, are in charge. You're out. And we need good people in the right positions. The right positions. If they're not in the right positions, then it's not going to be used to us, right? We need to make sure we have the right people in office, not the ones that the GOP tells us, but the ones that we know are going in there and they're like, I don't know. I just don't like this. And we're going to fix it because anything else is just simply toxic. Let's go. Good night. Now, would you love me now? I think I'm ready now. Would you love me now? I think I'm ready now.